Anjanam Nityam Anantarupam Bhaktanukampadhritavigraham Vai Ishavataram Parameshamidyam Tangrama Krishnam Shirasanamama Jananim Saradam Devim Ramakrishnam Jagat Gurum Padapadmi Tayos Ratwa Pranamami Muhurmuhu Namasri Yatirajaya Vivekananda Surai Satchid Sukhasvarupaya Swamine Tapaharine So we were discussing on the fifth chapter of Swami Vivekananda's Karma Yoga and in the last class we found that Swami Vivekananda has taken up the concept of the word, the power of word and its implication in Karma Yoga. And he was dealing with the power of word from the various perspectives. The very first perspective which he was discussing while discussing on the power of yoga is that it's a Guru Shakti or the Parampara Shakti which he was speaking of that how the mantras become powerful just the way the Tirthas become spiritually vibrant almost in the same procedure the mantras become spiritually vibrant how the Tirthas become spiritually vibrant it's not that the Tirthas have been created in the heaven and has been thrown onto this earth. It has been created here. Through ages together, the sadhakas, the spiritual aspirants, were residing in those places and were using those places exclusively for the spiritual practices. And that place immediately, sorry, gradually, gets saturated with those positive spiritual vibrations. We find that in our day-to-day -day life, that if I'm not feeling good, if I'm in a very sad mood, sometimes it so happens that suddenly I go to the shrine or to a temple and suddenly I find immediately my total mind has changed, mood has changed. Why it happens? Because that place is already spiritually vibrant. People go there, and use that place exclusively for good thoughts, holy thoughts, prayers. And that's what surcharges that atmosphere of that place. And we have to, we have to believe in it. If you go to just, you will find that how the place affects our mind. If you go to any of the so-called the, the funeral places, they're the most beautifully maintained place. So nice gardens, so beautiful gardens. But do you ever feel like going for a walk there? You never, not a single person will go there. Just for that, for loitering there, you will never go. Because that atmosphere somehow, in spite of the fact it is maintained so nicely with beautiful gardens, with beautiful landscapes, the vibration is such, it is full of melancholy. Because it's only the situation, the people, when they have lost their near and dear ones, they are there. And that's the vibration there. You can never think of some very happy, joyous type of uh, mood, temperament, when you are entering there. Knowingly, unknowingly, you go there, immediately your mind gets affected. And the, just the opposite happens when you're going to the shrine, when you're going to the temple. And that's the thing by which we were indicating even in the last class, that's how the mantras becomes potent with the power of the spiritual vibrations. That for ages together, some of the mantra, mantras have been resorted to by the sadhakas for contemplation, which has gradually taken to 
higher and higher rungs of the spiritual evolution. And as they have reached those high states of spiritual evolution, with the help of those mantras, now these mantras become surcharged. When a novice starts his spiritual journey with this mantra, he's already getting the benefit. The moment he or she tries to contemplate with the help of that mantra, you'll find there is a, as if a leap in his, psych, in his psychological well-being. Immediately, it enables him to just reach a state where he or she would have never reached just by his own effort. And that's the power of the mantra which has been spoken of at the very beginning. And this is something very, very wonderful. As we saw that in the biology, there is the theory of recapitulation. That it's a proof of evolution, biological evolution. What it speaks of, that ontogeny repeats phylogeny. That if you really want to find whether an organism, whether any creature is evolved or not, how to find it out? You just study the embryology. You will find that in the embryo, if you study the embryology, just take a human being. You will find a human baby in nine months from a single cellular organism evolves to a complete human being in nine months. And if you study the embryology, you will find it has actually uh, traversed the entire process of evolution at an extremely fast rate. At certain point of time, it was just like some lower organism. Then it became vertebrate. It had two, uh, what do you say, this chambered heart. Then it became three chambered. At last it became four chambered heart. We were like cold blooded animal uh, when we were at certain stage in our embryo, in the embryo of the mother. And then we became this uh, warm blooded. And not only that, we really had something like fins, which got converted into lungs. We had tail that actually got atrophied before we took birth. All those shows that we were traversing the entire path of evolution at a very fast rate. What took millions of years in the nature, that took just nine months in the mother's womb. And that proves that we are evolved. So the same thing happens as a human being when we start our education, the academic education. The language now becomes the, the what is genes for the biology, the language becomes the same genes for our intellectual education. All the knowledge for thousands of years which the humans has evolved through are all encoded in the language. In the school, in 12 years, from the first standard to the 12th standard, by the time a student reaches the 12th standard, he or she is aware of the entire intellectual evolution of the humankind, which took hundreds of years. So almost the same, that ontogeny repeats phylogeny happens with the help of language in intellectual level. And not only that, with the help of the mantra, the same thing again happens in the spiritual level. The same ontogeny repeats what our predecessors through parampara, our ancestors, our all the previous sadhakas, what they have achieved with the help of the mantra. And it took, most probably took some so many uh, uh, generations, most probably to evolve to certain spiritual level. And I'm getting the advantage of it just by recoursing to it and I'm just uh, taking it seriously and I start my spiritual journey with that mantra and I will find that the spiritual journey can really just advance in leaps and bounds. So that's the power of mantra. And now you will understand that why mantra is kept secret. And it is, it is secret and it is sacred because once you open up the mantra, there may be many who are not serious and the mantra may be used in a way which actually dilutes its strength. To give an example, in the olden days, the Gayatri mantra was something which 
a brahmin boy or uh, a high class means the the brahman kshatriya and the uh, vaishya the three varnas had the uh, what do you say that's the right for getting initiated so this after the initiation this gayatri mantra was kept kept secret in the modern age uh, with the help of now as we are so rational we have opened it up you will find cassettes you will find uh, these all your in electronic medias we are finding this gayatri mantra and in india when i was there i found some horrible thing in the marriage ceremony there's some loud speaker is being played and the gayatri mantra is being is chanting it's it's we will say how why it is horrible because all are in a very totally different mood in a in a very uh, short means just to socialize with others just to have fun that's all going on and in the background the gayatri mantra is is just playing in the loudspeaker so the total mantra gets diluted so now you will understand why it was kept secret uh, this sacred and secret so that the mantra doesn't lose its potency so that's a very it's not the question of just uh, having a privilege with the mantra that I, only a few should have the privilege no those who are really competent those who have taken that life seriously yes let them be uh, let them just take uh, let, uh, uh, let, let them avail it let them get initiated by it let it not be open for all otherwise the mantra will lose its power just the way if all sorts of uh, business activities starts in a religious place the religious place loses its power loses its vibration the same way the mantra loses its vibration if anyone is using it in for any purpose so it should be secret and sacred so that was the first uh, component that of the power of the word which swamiji was speaking of and the next he told very interesting thing that the word is there's not there's what's the power of the word that the word is uh, god himself it's if we find in all the abrahamic religions as well as in all uh, uh, even in our uh, vedas it is mentioned that the concept of the shabda brahma is there so it has been very much developed in the tantras and swamiji is speaking when while speaking of the power of the word he is speaking of that that how that the word is god he is saying in the words of ramakrishna brahma shakti abhed this brahma and shakti are identical very nicely sri ramakrishna is giving that example a snake while lying coiled is also a snake and when it is moving around that's also the same snake when it is crawling it's the same snake so the ultimate absolute reality when finds expression as the universe it is finding expression as shakti and when the shakti is there that energy is there if it, it is it is something synonymous to vibration spandan kampan and this vibration wherever there is vibration that entails sound the word actually is the sound which has been spoken of the original sound is undistorted sound the vibration from that the creation is yet to happen that's the shabda brahman and now we will find that from the shabda brahman the various aspects of this physical universe has came into existence by the uh, limited expression of that undistorted sound very nicely in the scripture they speak of vindu kala nada the second nada is different from the first nada first nada is the undistorted sound now when you, even in our life we find when we have a desire the desire is the seed and now after the desire there is a desire arises in our mind we start planning how to uh, fructify that desire how to fulfill that desire so all those plans speaks of your gyana shakti ichha shakti is the vindu is just the seed the desire in the form of seed has just arisen in your mind now you plan that speaks of the gyana shakti once you have planned now the action now you start acting on it the kriya shakti 
So this nada is just the limited, limited expression of the original nada. The sound Brahman is finding expression in various ways in the world. And these all limited expressions are the second nada, the secondary nada, which has been spoken of. So everything has evolved from the sound. Even in science, we will find that they say that the universe came from the Big Bang. And there is a very interesting thing that there was a lot of controversy whether really the Big Bang happened or not. There's a big lot of controversy. But two scientists got Nobel Prize because of certain discovery. You know, where it happened accidentally. The Penzias, one of the scientists' name is Penzias, while he was uh, working on the telescope, uh, uh, he found some, uh, what's that's a noise coming. He thought there must be some dirt in the so-called, uh, in the telescope. And even after cleansing, that noise was always there. The remnant of that noise was always there. And from that, they suddenly came to the discussion that noise is everywhere. Even when you on the TV, it is not tuned to any particular channel. You will find that if some, uh, what you say, that noise is there in radio, in TV, a part of that noise, a small portion of that noise is actually the remnant of the Big Bang. Just to understand, it's still there. It's not lost. Energy is never lost. It's something like this, that when you uh, ring a bell or when you just strike a gong, the sound will gradually dissipate. It will start that vibration like that ohm. It will gradually merge. So this gradual merging of the sound, it's never merges uh, completely. It goes beyond the audible level, but it is still there. The Big Bang is a huge force which we even cannot imagine. And the remnant of it is still there in the universe, which can be detected through this, our this highly sophisticated uh, this, uh, this telescopes. It can be still uh, heard. And that's again speaks of the Shabda. And in the, we are just with the help of science, we're trying to understand that these are not some just uh, imagination of some fertile brain. That the creation, how nicely it has been described is the expression of the Shabda Brahma. So that's the power of the word. The third thing, which we couldn't take up in the previous class, today we will take up, is the emotive, the, how the power gets linked with our emotive faculty. Swamiji is, Swamiji is speaking in that portion that word has tremendous power. A man is sad, you go and just speak to him a few words of consolation and immediately find that his total mood has changed. You speak a few abusive words and the person gets angry. So these words have got linked to our emotive faculty. So we can use the words again in the spiritual self with our spiritual sense by tagging it up with our emotive faculty. If we can develop some emotion with it, then it can really help us to progress in spiritual life very fast. So that's the thing Swamiji will take up in the discussion in the next portion. So we will share the screen uh, to refer to the text. So yeah. Apart from the higher philosophic and religious value of the word, we may see that sound symbols play a prominent part in the drama of human life. I'm talking to you. I'm not touching you. The pulsations of the ear caused by my speaking go into your ear. They touch your nerves and produce effects in your minds. You cannot resist this. What can be more wonderful than this? One man calls another a fool and at this the other stands, stands up and clenches his fist and lands a blow on his nose. Look at the power of the world. There is a woman weeping and miserable 
another woman comes along and speaks to her a few gentle words the doubled up frame of the weak of the weeping woman becomes straightened at once her sorrow is gone and she already begins to smile think of the power of the words they are a great force in higher philosophy as well as in common life day and night we manipulate this force without thought and without inquiry to know the nature of this force and to use it well is also a part of karma yoga so in our scriptures also it has been spoken of in chaitanya charitamrita uh, there is a very beautiful lines this shokhi keva sunailo sham nam kaner bhitor diya morome poshilogo akul korilo mor pran so in bengali these lines are there that what is the power of the words that one of the gopis is just saying that see that what is the power of those words are just just by hearing the name of krishna it entered through my ear and it created a huge turmoil in my emotive faculty in my heart so the when that word gets linked with the love tagged with love with emotion then it has a wonderful power it a tremendous power to overhaul our personality it can help us to progress in spiritual life at a tremendous fast rate because once you develop love that your meditation becomes spontaneous just the way the mother never has to meditate on the child that lest she forgets her or forgets the child lest she forgets the child so she never has to meditate because of the love she always whatever she may be doing is constantly a part of the mind is always dwelling on her child so that's how the meditation becomes spontaneous when the emotive faculty gets linked when the emotive faculty gets linked with your uh, uh, meditation the thing of your contemplation so that's the power which swami is speaking of here that when just by hearing the word it can overwhelm you by getting uh, connected to your emotion then it has a tremendous power in your spiritual journey but now the question is that the word itself may not enkindle my devotion there may be a few fortunate one just by hearing the name it enkindles the devotion but for many of us just repeating the name maybe as it may be something very dry then how to really get the advantage of what has been spoken of here so again in chaitanya charitamrita there is a very interesting line that how to develop this bhakti just by hearing the word immediately my emotion will well up and will help me to get totally focused in my ideal how is it possible so again in chaitanya charitamrita very nicely that two lines are there ei hori naam nite nite bhakti mukul phutbe chite that bhakti is just like a bud in your heart in your heart it's in the heart of each and every being but it's a bud it's just a bud how that bud can bloom that bud can bloom if you go on taking the name of the lord ei hori naam nite nite bhakti mukul phutbechite if you feel dry today don't worry don't stop with perseverance you go on repeating it know it for certain it can be assured that today or tomorrow suddenly you will find just by repeating the word you have started feeling a tremendous love for the object which it implies how it happens it happens just the way we have developed inordinate attachment for any sensual things that out of necessity we were doing the things again and again once we do it again and again a path is as if created on our through our mind and once the path is created we forget the necessity just to do it becomes our liking all the things which we like all the things which we hate are obsessions even the things which we hate not only the like is just a small child that we give that example again and again is not drinking milk the mother adds sugar 
immediately it starts drinking. That liking for sweetness is something innate. How it has happened? Because our predecessors, when they were food gatherers, they used to go to the forest, they used to collect the roots and herbs, and they found that anything sweet in nature is never poison. The other tests, there is a doubt, but sweet never is poison. So it was out of necessity they were in search of sweet roots, sweet herbs. And repeated search for these sweet things that became ingrained in our genes. That speaks of the neuroplasticity. And then what happened? Now we have started liking sweet so much. We forgot the necessity. In all the food you will find, the sugar is added. Because they know very well, it will sell. And all the lifestyle disease is because of that. Obesity, uh, your diabetes, even blood pressure, everything can be linked to that. So what has happened? The thing which was necessity, that became my obsession. Even uh, our hatreds become obsession. You will find that those who avoid food just to maintain figure and all, especially it happens with the woman folk. Uh, it was some, it, a few, few decades, decades back, it was a huge problem. Many of the girls died from a disease called anorexia. It is a psychological condition. That just to maintain figure, they will eat very less. And then suddenly they will find there is a total, they have lost the uh, interest in eating at all. Even the food which is required for sustenance, they won't take. They will develop tremendous aversion for food. So this repeated avoidance of the food has created an obsession of aversion. And it goes to such an extent that they become skin and bone. They have to be admitted to the hospital and force-feeded with a tube. Otherwise they will die and many have died. So you will find that's how the mind is constantly fooling us. That all the necessities, either it is attachment or hatred is getting converted into obsession. In spiritual tradition, in all the spiritual traditions throughout the world, the reputation is a very important thing. You go to the church, you go to the uh, mosque, temple, you will find the same syllables are repeated day after day. The same namaz, the same prayer, the same mantra. So if we, if we generally ask that what are the common grounds of religion? There are many common grounds. That what we are repeating may be different things. But repetition is the thing which is common. So you will find this, they learned long back. There's this repetition. With the repetition, we can resort to the neuroplasticity and that can enter into our emotive faculty. We can get obsessed by it. And that instead of degrading us, instead of degrading us by getting stuck to our inordinate desires, it helps us to develop a desire for the name of the Lord. And it is something very special. All other desires, there's a problem. What's the problem? That I may not get it, and when I get it, I may lose it. Because they are all something extraneous. This is the thing no one can touch. In the words of Miravai, that this, this Ramnam, what, how, what type of treasure it is? Kharche nahi koi, chor na leve, dina dina varata savayo. So very, how these pertinent words. Kharche nahi koi. All other treasures, which is extraneous, which is something external to me, that may get expended. I may have huge wealth, but gradually I may spend it and I may just, uh, just have no wealth at all. I may lose all my wealth. But this is something which never gets expended. The more you practice, the more deeper groove is there in your mind, and the more intense is your liking for it. So there is no question of getting expended. As it is something within you, no one can steal it. The more you practice, the more they are in your psyche, the impression gets ingrained, the more is your love for it. So this is a special type of love. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, the more you go towards the east, west automatically falls behind. And this love becomes so intense all other inordinate attachments starts falling off. You cannot force them out of your life. 
we have to develop a tremendous love for something sublime so that the other things automatically falls off that's what sri ramakrishna meant by when he said that the more you go towards the east the west automatically falls behind so now that's the last thing which swami is indicating while he is discussing the power of word it is a tremendous implication in our spiritual life so this was the diversion from the karma yoga as such the way we think karma yoga means nishkam karma and we think that all japa dhyana these are not a part of karma yoga these also are a part of karma yoga actually there cannot be any watertight compartment between all these yogas all these yogas in some way or other are related what we say as gyana yoga you will find there also the one who is chanting aham brahmasmi you may think it is a dry uh, uh, contemplation no there also the same thing happens by constantly contemplating on that bhakti arises maybe it's not for god but you develop a tremendous love for that type of chanting and that that chanting when it gets mixed up with love your this contemplation on the idea that you are the atman that gets more and more ingrained so you will find there also the repetition is there there also the bhakti is there there cannot be pure gyana if there is a pure gyana that will be dry there cannot be pure bhakti pure if if bhakti is pure without any gyana it becomes the in the scripture they have in narada bhakti sutra they have spoken of it becomes just and like an illicit love a man has a love for the paramar it becomes that type of love why without gyana if you don't have the idea that the one whom i love is not an ordinary being he is the ultimate reality who has no beginning no end who is eternal this idea if you don't have then what's the difference between the love and illicit love of a man for the paramar and that others in all the bhakti they have spoken of so you will find in bhakti gyana is a must that even when the gopis were uh, in love with krishna they never forgot his real divine nature that's what narada is saying otherwise that would have just become an illicit love so all these yogas are intertwined so when we speak of karma yoga we generally have the idea that it has nothing to do with gyana and bhakti so just to uh get rid of that idea swami ji has brought this aspect of karma yoga also in his discussion before again he resorts back to the sabhavaja karma aspect and the nishkam karma aspect of the karma yoga and the title of this uh lecture is we help ourselves not the world so he will now come to that topic gradually uh, uh, after this uh discussion on the power of uh, word uh, he just deals with it after that he will come to that discussion our duty to others means helping others so he has now entered into that topic doing good to the world why should we do good to the world apparently to help the world but really to help ourselves we should always try to help the world that should be the highest motive in us but if we consider well we find that the world does not require our help at all this world was not made that you or i should come and help it i once read a sermon in which it was said all this beautiful world is very good because it gives us time and opportunity to help others apparently this is a very beautiful sentiment but is it not a blasphemy to say that the world needs our help we cannot deny that there is much misery in it to go out and help others is therefore the best thing we can do although in the long run we shall find that helping others is whole only helping ourselves so here swami vivekananda this ramakrishna always used to say that you all say that we will help we will try to help others and ramakrishna again and again used to say that how much is your power that you speak of helping the world so it is not that sri ramakrishna is discouraging he is just discouraging not the work but not helping others that that he is not discouraging that when you are 
what he's discouraging is actually the attitude when a person says that i want to help i want to do some service i want to serve the world he is actually criticizing the attitude because the person really feels that he can help the world ramakrishna is saying that it's you can never help that god has implanted the love in you and you are an instrument by which he is taking care of his creation and to a certain extent you will be used by god himself to take care of his creation so if you do with that attitude that it is god who is working through me then it's okay but when you think that it is you are someone that the world needs your help that actually is increasing your ego that actually is enhancing your ego feeding your ego so that's the thing swamiji is uh, criticizing ramakrishna is criticizing and actually really to speak we can never help the world that also uh, uh, in this lecture only in the in the end the story of that dog's curly tail will come which sri ramakrishna used to say which swami vivekananda is narrating here you will find that so many divine incarnations came so many social revolutions has happened for thousands of years it is going on has the world really changed for good or for the worse the plan of the nature is such you can never think of complete remedy of the problems of life never it happens sri swami vivekananda in some other place has uh, given the example of a rheumatic patient he says that the world is like a rheumatic patient in rheumatism what happens when you are having pain in one of the joints say in your uh, knees you massage the pain shifts it may go to your hip or may go to your ankle so there will be a temporary relief but after that you find that the pain has shifted so why is swami ji saying that the world is like a rheumatic patient we'll find that when you try to remedy certain evils of the society it finds expression in some other way when swami vivekananda went to the west the immediate there was a lot of he had to hear a lot of criticism against india that in india there is child marriage and swami ji told yes i was really very much uh, ashamed about it but now i find that we have child marriage and you have in this society that so many divorced lady who don't know that how to spend the rest of the life so where the problem is not there so there in one way the problem is finding expression and here again in another way it is finding expression means he's just giving a specific example in every field of life we will find that we can never solve the problems of the world in some way there is a remedy in another way it is finding expression all the evils so that's that's why of one after the other some isms came you just find the communism came ideally it is perfect the speak of sharing the wealth among the humans it shouldn't be in none, none should hold it that a particular section of the society shouldn't exploit the others they speak of class struggle and at last what has happened we need not go to the details of it why it has happened we don't know but this is a fact which has happened everywhere what has happened just to give an idea just take just imagine if sin that the landlord was sitting on the back of a horse with a whip in his hand and he was whipping the farmer and after the revolution what has happened the farmer is on the back of the horse the landlord is standing on the ground and the whip is in the hand of the farmer he is whipping in the name of class struggle at last if and the problem hasn't been hasn't been solved only the roles have changed and that's if you just relate uh, to our this the, all the so called the communist movements most of the places you will find at last it has ended up with dictatorship it's a fact of life it has happened everywhere it means i mean it is just not only in uh, in the case of communism any remedy we have tried we will find it has find expression in other way so that's why 
Ramakrishna used to say, this world is like a dog's curly tail. How much really we can help this world? But still, we should try. When you see that someone is suffering, immediately try to help him. Why? Because we have been built in such a way that the emotion which is that altruism is something which we have not devised as a human being. Even in modern science, they have started saying altruism is a plan of the evolution. Let us even forget the spiritual side. That altruism is built in us. How you know? Very interesting. The Darwin told that the struggle for existence and survival of the fittest, and that speaks of the selfish genes. The genes should be selfish. For my existence, even others are annihilated, well and good. I have to survive. Then how the sense of altruism we find is there in, not only in human, even in other creatures you will find. They are trying to help others even at the cost of their own well-being. There are so many examples. So that baffled all that if Darwin's theory is correct, how can that altruism is there which is innate in each and every organism? And that Darwin himself faced that opposition and he started speaking of group evolution. That suppose a in a tribe, all are selfish. And there's another tribe where they all, when someone attacks, that someone has attacked a particular house, a dacoit has attacked a particular house. Others think after all, he has been attacked. Why should we bother? So they are selfish. They don't help him out. Then what happens the next day, the one who was just silently waiting, he's attacked. So that way the entire tribe gets annihilated. So Darwin is saying that the tribe which cooperated, when one was attacked, the others came to help. They thrived. But now, again, there was a, 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 another big question arose. That in such case, when all are helping each other, there may be some who takes the advantage of it. He will take the help of others, but he himself won't help others. He's the, most of them are cooperating. That one is someone who is just breaking that norm. Then as per the, the biology of evolution, he is the one who is at last going to survive. He will take the property of others. He will thrive. Others will die out. So now, even the Darwin's group evolution, that is proven to be wrong. They say it's kin. The skin means those who I find reciprocate altruism. I generally tend to group up with them. Those who are trying to be selfish, I never try to group with them. And this happens automatically in our so-called the genetical structure. And at last we find those who are altruistic, they are thriving with a win-win strategy. That's the synergy. That uh, how to understand synergy? And there's a very funny way to understand the synergy, the win-win situation. That both let us both compromise to a certain extent so that we both get the advantage. So in a, in a funny way, we can understand that. How that in a place, some hand wrestling competition was going on. The criteria was as many times you can win over your opponent, you get $100 for each win. Five minutes time is given to you. The uh, opponent has been already fixed by the one who have organized the hand wrestling game. So now the, as many times you win, that into 100 in five minutes, as many times as you win, into 100 you will get. Now the organizers were quite clever. They all chose the opponents in such a way that they are almost of equal strength. So the question of winning repeatedly is not there. They go on using their strength and none can win. But suddenly the organizers found that two hand wrestlers whispered something in their ear and then they started hand wrestling. And then what they found? That A and B were wrestling. A won uh, for the first time, immediately the B won. Means what they have, what they whispered, that for the first time when I press you down, just simply don't use any strength, loosen your hand. And the next time I will loosen. So you put me down. In that way, we both can win the maximum number of times. So in five minutes, both can win maximum. So what? Both have compromised to a certain extent, just, and they have lost as if apparently they have lost so many times, 
but ultimately they both won that's what win win situation i sacrifice because at last i find i gain by that sacrifice overall as a team we all both gain so this is synergy this is win win that has happened in the entire evolution it has happened so by helping others actually we help ourselves if you just go to that even uh, this is the same thing we just speak of this kin evolution at present but swami vivekananda with a very simple example and that that's the speciality of this uh, highly illumined soul they don't use academic language in the academic language can sometimes be very very abstract we, we find it's very difficult to understand swami vivekananda is giving an example by which you can understand so clearly what he's saying that sometimes this struggle seems to give us the advantage in evolution that if i am more strong i am having advantage over others to evolve but it is something which has never happened it has happened but that's the not the real reason for evolution the real reason is cooperation and then he is giving a wonderful example he is saying suppose in a theater the theater is going on and suddenly there is an announcement there is a fire in the theater please vacate the theater was the screen was dropped the announcement was there that the fire may get then go beyond control any moment so please vacate so all started rushing towards the exit there was a stampede only a few could manage to go out the rest were charged to death and now swami is saying interesting thing that would you say that the few who have somehow managed to come out are the evolved ones actually if even if such a situation happens the few who came out most probably have been lucky they were not the st- the one who were really having the strength most probably they were sitting near the exit and somehow they managed and in evolution such cases have happened so has happened such few, few cases but most of the cases actually has what has happened when the announcement was there there is a fire all were calm they decided not to hurry in queue silently they came out they cooperated let me not try to take the advantage by running by overtaking the other let us be in queue calmly move out and all were saved what a wonderful example swamiji is giving and he is saying in evolution that has happened you it's very interesting when swamiji is saying this thing then biology there was yet to develop the idea of synergy in biology there was this idea was yet to evolve the idea of darwin's theory of evolution was very strong and that actually swami vivekananda was warning in those days there are many lectures where he is saying that entire europe is sitting on a tip of a volcano any time it may burst out why he found that based on darwin's theory of evolution nietzsche he has propounded a philosophy very fatalistic philosophy that yes it is the fittest who survives and the fittest to really accelerate in his evolution has to uh exploit the weaker weaker the weaker section and that's the idea which hitler took from nietzsche i'm just giving you this the idea if you can study the history that hitler was highly inspired by nietzsche and from that you will find that in the second world war in the name of uh making the world only the, the inhabitable in the inhabitable inhabitable place for the aryans the most evolved human creature the others should be annihilated what a tremendous mass extermination happened in the name of the so called that the aryans evolution we all know and swamiji was warning that this theory is having some very very destructive implication we have already faced it so but gradually the biology has started understanding that it is not only that selfish genes the genes are selfish but that selfishness is enlightened selfishness they know very well that to certain extent if i sacrifice as a the and this as a group as the entire creation we exist we thrive we survive we all get the advantage and that's the plan of the universe and otherwise you can never uh, explain that how altruism is almost inbuilt in our heart we don't have to 
uh, decide that let me help others. When some situation happens such that other people are in misery, you will find sympathy is welling up from within. If it was a decision, then the question of emotive faculty link, getting linked with it, that empathy wouldn't have happened. But it is a fact of life. We all realize that we all to certain extent more or less feel sympathetic. It's a part of our genes, how it has happened. It's the plan of the universe. God has created the universe with that idea of cooperation. And that's the idea of Yajna in the Bhagavad Gita. That this world is interdependent. You have to relate to others. And that's how we are all been uh, created. Sahayagya Prajasrishtva. And that's what Swamiji is indicating. So it is something inbuilt. We have to. Don't think that, uh, that you take the decision to save the world. God has made you almost his instrument. Has implanted that uh, love, sympathy within you to take care of his own creation. You need not bother. He will take care of his creation through you. And then the creation goes on. He has made the creation in such a way you can never get perfection. Why? Very nicely now scriptures has been spoken of. If you just relate these ideas, then the uh, things get clear that why the world is imperfect. If the just God is sitting there, merciful God is sitting there, why should he have created this type of world where there is so much of imperfection, so much of cruelty? The idea is very nice, very interesting. That Raso Vaisa, he's the one who is bliss. And from that bliss, the entire creation has came. Then why the creation should come from the bliss? It's just like the spontaneous joy of a child. When the child makes something with the clay, the child doesn't have any plan. When, he's, when the child is drawing, they don't have a plan to really make some great work out of it. It's just the spontaneous expression of their joy. They create and it is they only unmake. After some time, they will break it. So this world is as if the expression of the Lord's joy. This anande na khalbivani yadabhutani. This entire creation has came out from that bliss. And when he has created, why he has created? Because he was one, he wanted to be many. Why he wanted to be many? Because when this joy can find expression only through love. You cannot alone be happy. So he was one, he wanted to be many. And when he created many, he wanted through love, he wanted to experience that joy. And if that's the fact, if that's true, then why has he made us in such a way that we get diverted in all the human endeavor and we don't feel like loving God? So very nicely, uh, it has been explained in our scriptures that if we are forced to love God, then we are no more that love uh, can never be experienced. Can you ever love a robot which has been programmed to love you? It's never possible. There's a movie called Artificial Intelligence where it has been shown that a child has been created with unconditional love. But the mother always feels it's a machine. The child feels so much love for the mother, but the mother never feels love for the child. Because after all, she knows it's a machine. It has been programmed to love me. You can never feel love. For love, there must be a choice. There must be that when I love you, you have the choice to love me. You may or you may not. And when you out of your choice love me, then only that love can be experienced. And that's why God has given us a choice. And he has allowed us to move out. But after all, the entire plan of the universe is to experience that love. So if by moving out, we get a perfect world, we never, can, we never will be coming. We never will be retracing back. We never will move towards the Lord. So he has created the world. He has given us choice. Anything you can do, you can go to the world, you can come back to me. But at the same time, when he has created the world, he has made it in such a way there you cannot get ultimate happiness. It is dog's curly tail. So that at last you turn back. And God is eternally waiting. That's why Gopala's hand is always extended. We go to the Lord to ask something. And when I go to Gopala, the Krishna, we find it is he who is asking something from us. 
his hand is extended. We go with extended hand and now we find that it is his hand is extended. He is asking. It is he who is asking for love, for attention. He is eternally waiting when we turn around and come to him. And he has made the world in such a way you can never get happiness there. It's with all our attempt to get happiness, at last it's the dog's curly tail. So it's the plan of the universe. If you think, if I think that I will get just help the world to get rid of misery, it's never going to happen. But then why should we, why he has given that altruism within us? Ultimately for our own spiritual evolution. With that, we'll be getting rid of our ego. Little by little, that sense of sacrifice, the ego which has condensed to give me that sense of individuality, that will start falling off. That's the turning around. And that will again enable me to experience that love. So entire karma yoga is the chitta shuddhi. It's not really for helping out the world. We can never do. The Lord is, has already planned the universe in such a way that however we try, it will be as it is. It doesn't speak of his cruelty. It actually speaks of his compassion. It speaks of his love. The world is such is created such a way as we would have never turned around. It is. We can never get that final satisfaction there. But through the entire process of trying to do good, at last, we get rid of our ego. We get rid of our ego and that helps us to get more and more close to the divine. So, that's the thing which Swamiji is indicating. Just a small example which Swamiji is giving that we will study and stop our discussion today. And we will continue with the rest of the lecture in the next class. As a boy, I had some white mice. They were kept in a little box in which there were little wheels. And when the mice tried to cross the wheels, the wheels turned and turned and the mice never got anywhere. So it is with the world and our helping it. The only help is that we get moral exercise. That's the your uh, cleansing of the mind, getting rid of the ego. That's the moral exercise. This world is neither good nor evil. Each man manufactures a world for himself. So that's the wonderful idea. So we will take up this idea also. Uh, we will uh, discuss a little and we'll take up again in the next class. And this, this white mass example is something that Swamiji will speak that as a young, we are all optimist. And as we grow old, we start becoming pessimist. Because like the white mice, we are trying to go to the other side of the box, but the wheels goes turn on and does never allows us. We goes, just go on turning in round and round in the same place. It actually speaks in the modern psychological language of inescapable trauma. As a young person, we all think with all our degrees, qualification, health, youthfulness, we are going to conquer the world. The world will be under our feet. And in no time we find, just like the mice, we are just on the wheels. It takes us nowhere. And this is the inescapable trauma we all go through in our life. And at last it results in learned helplessness. These are the words which the psychology use, but the same thing Swamiji is saying, simple words. We've learned that we are helpless and that makes us pessimist. From that learned helplessness comes the defeatist attitude and that makes us pessimist. That's Swami, that Swamiji will be indicating that as a young, we all start as optimist, we end as pessimist. And this all happens because we don't have a proper paradigm to look at the way the world actually is. So Swamiji will gradually come to the discussion and then he will say that why ultimately to help others is actually to help ourselves. And the more we keep that in our mind, the fanaticism won't come. Otherwise, in the name of helping others throughout the world, we find is full of fanatics that those who with all sincerity were trying to help the world at last found that the world is the world outside there. Many are there who are the detrimental factors, who doesn't think the way he thinks. One political party thinks the opposition is the detrimental factor. The opposition thinks the one who is the ruling is the detrimental factor because the way I think that's the only way 
to get rid of the misery of the world. And from that, the fanaticism comes, fight comes, struggle comes. So how to get rid of this? It's just the change of the paradigm that's required. That Swamiji will take up before he concludes the lecture by focusing on the theme with which he has started that uh, by helping others, we actually help ourselves, not the world. So with this, we stop our discussion today. We will continue with our discussion again in the next class. However, from uh, 21st, means from tomorrow till 15th January, our regular classes won't be there. We will have this Christmas break. And after uh, 15th, the regular classes will be there. However, there will be the celebrations will be there. We will have Christmas Eve on 24th. On 1st January, we will have our uh, Kalpataru day. And on 10th January, uh, we will have Holy Mother's birthday. Those celebrations will be there and we will notify you uh, uh, in proper in time, but the regular classes till 15th will remain cancelled, and then from 15th onwards the classes will start. So with this we stop our discussion today. Most probably again the next Karma Yoga class will be after 15th January. Pranam Samaji. Namaskar. Pranam Maharaj. Thank you, Swamiji. Pranam Swamiji. Thank you, Swamiji. Namaskar.